From Luminary, this is Karamo, a podcast. Hey, friends, welcome to Karamo. I am your host, Karamo, and welcome to season two of my show. <laughs> Listen, season one was a lot of call-in guests talking about the emotional issues that they were experiencing, the challenges they were going through, and I helped them grow through them. You know, this show is all about talking and growing and healing. And through these conversations, I am just super excited for everyone to learn something new about someone else, but also to learn something new about themselves. You know, we'll still be having our calling guests. We'll be sharing their issues. I'll also be having guests who are what I'm calling inspo to go because their stories are just so exceptional that it's going to be a bite of getting some inspiration to encourage you to just live better, to be better, to do more. So today we're going to be starting off with one of those standalone interviews with one of my friends. He is the world's new spiritual guide, and his name is Jay Shetty. Hey, friend! Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Now, this is a man who has had many different transitions in his young life. He graduated with a degree in business, but then decided to leave that life to become a monk where he helped build sustainable villages and distributed over 1 million meals per day to those in need. Then after years of reflection, he decided to stop being a monk and moved back home with his parents where he realized he was in massive debt. Now, knowing that he still wanted to help others, he became a life coach using the skills he learned in business schools and the skills he learned being a monk and the lessons he gained from being in debt to guide others. Today, Jay Shetty is an award-winning digital strategist turned captivating host, storyteller, viral content creator, he is guiding people worldwide in having deeper and more meaningful conversations with themselves so that they can live more fulfilled lives. Everyone, please help me welcome my friend, Jay Shetty. Hey, Jay, how are you doing, man? Hey, Karama, I'm good. I'm good. I'm so looking forward to this and I'm so grateful to be here, man. Thank you. I'm excited to have you on the show. You know, we all follow you on social media and we all see all of the amazing things that you do and how you inspire people. But I want to get to know a little bit more about you. First of all, I just want to say I'm really humbled by what you said. And I know that you don't say it lightly and you say it with a lot of feeling. And I'm, you know, humbled by it. And I and I also hope that I can continue to have incredible people around me like yourself and, and others that we all know so that I can continue to do this as a way of my service to the world. And and I love the fact that we're going to try and get a layer deeper today. And, and I'm going to give you my, you know, most genuine and, and transparent answers. So tell me about your background. I know that before you got into this work, you were in business school. When I was growing up, I was bullied a ton mainly for mm. being overweight and for being Indian. So up until the age of about 14, I was a teacher's pet. I was one of 
few minority Indians in my school, in my area in London, where I was born and raised, London, England. And I was overweight. And so I was bullied for that as well. I remember struggling to pull myself out of a swimming pool and struggling to run during uh, gym class. And just, you know, many people didn't even know what Indians were and what their religion and traditions were. And so I was bullied for that. And I think that very early on gave me a lot of empathy and and compassion for just anyone who'd ever gone through anything. And for, for some reason or the other, and I'm still trying to figure out, maybe we'll figure it out together today. I don't know why, but it never made me bitter. Like I never saw it as a weakness. I never judged myself because of it. And, and I continued to feel confidence and compassionate in, in moving forward. And I grew up, I, I joke about this often. I grew up in a very strict Indian household and I had three I had three uh, paths that I could take. I could either be a, you know, three options. I could either be a doctor, a lawyer, or a failure. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I often say that because, you know, all my cousins are doctors now, and, you know, many of them doing incredible work right now at this current time. And, or, you know, a lot of my family from friends were like lawyers and engineers. And I was never really fascinated with that world. I, growing up, to be honest, especially in my teens, I was fascinated with three subjects. They were art and design, philosophy, and economics. Those were the subjects that kind of called on me. And so I was always thinking, oh, maybe I'm going to be an artist, or maybe I'll be an art director, or maybe I'll be a graphic designer. And that's kind of where my creative mind was dragging me. And I actually did a lot of spoken word growing up as well, because I just enjoyed language and words and grew up listening to rap and hip hop music. So I was always trying to express myself through words and language. And so that's very different from what an Indian parent expects of their child. Like it's, yeah. it's totally the opposite of what Indian parents, every time I tell my parents, I want to be a rapper, they'd be like, what? <laughs> like, what do you mean you want to be a rapper? Like, and, and, you know, I grew up with like, my wall was covered in, posters of like Eminem and Tupac and like yeah. you know, Lauren Hill and you know yeah. all these incredible people on my wall and, and my parents were just like what are you doing and they just thought it was a phase and, and they could see it wasn't and then I would be like oh I want to be an artist or a designer anyway I get to the point of making that decision and and to, to some degree I, I go for the what I would say is the the sensible and in the middle approach so I'm like okay I like the human mind. I like thinking, but I think I should do something safe because in my mind at that time, I didn't believe that there were many other jobs. So I attend CAS business school. It's an undergraduate degree where I'm studying management science with a focus on behavioral science. So I'm fascinated by why people do what they do, why we make certain decisions. Does money motivate us or does it not? Why do we uh, make mistakes? Why do we lie? These are all the kind of questions that I was fascinated to answer. And so I choose that path kind of as an in-between of okay, at least I'm getting some useful career-based opportunities here. But at the same time, I'm getting to follow my fascination. So I remember my art teacher looking at me when I made that decision and being like, you sold out, dude. Like, you know, you, get, <laughs> you gave up on us. Like, you, you know, and I've never, I've never shared this depth anywhere, but you know, like you, you gave up on us. And I was like, no, I still believe in it. But I think that, I think that if I study this, then I'll be able to apply. Anyway, I was trying to justify my decision-making. But anyway, that's kind of what led me to that decision and and to those three years it makes sense because when your parents you know being having immigrant parents my parents i'm first generation american they were very much they didn't have doctor lawyer failure but it was very much in those things of like whatever you do you have to go to college and my household it was entertainment's not a real career or you know you know giving speeches is not a real career 
So you need a real career that I can tell my friends about. <laughs> so how did you deal with having that conversation with your parents when you decided to leave the traditional path that they wanted to put you on and follow your dreams of becoming a monk? So Banksy, the artist, he had this quote that I saw the other day and it said, a lot of parents will do anything for their kids except let them be themselves. Mm. And, and I thought, I, I was like, I'm going to share it in the next couple of days. And, and I was just like, and, and I want to approach this carefully. And the reason why I mean that is I genuinely believe that anything your parents want for you is what they think is best for you. Of They're course. not coming at it from a point of view of like, hey, we don't want our kid to be happy or we don't want our kid to be satisfied. Like no, no parent wakes up in the morning and goes, how do I ruin my child's future? Right. Like no one, no one thinks <laughs> well, we hope in that not. way. We hope yeah, not, we hope not. Know? We hope not. But, but we would say that most you know, most good parents are not thinking that way, at least that maliciously. It's not that their intent is bad. It's that they don't allow the freedom of exploration and experimenting and experiencing and for people to make their own decisions. So it's not about becoming bitter towards our parents. But for me, it was starting to have those conversations with my parents very early on. So from the moment when I met a monk when I was 18, I remember coming back and literally that weekend saying to my parents, I was like, I think I want to be a monk. You know, I would just always speak from my heart and my intuition. And, and at first, you know, your parents don't take you seriously when you say something like that, just like they saw me not continue to pursue art in the most traditional sense or not continue to pursue graphic design in a traditional sense. They were just like, well, you know, he's probably going to give this up too. And, and then they started to see me get more and more involved. Uh, use, I was using my summer vacations to go off and live in India and study with monks. And I was also doing my internships at corporations and financial companies in London. And so they could see I was doing both. So they thought, okay, well, you know, at least he's balanced. He's going to end up doing something that, you know, makes money and, and has a job. And I think what happened is by the time I turned 22, when I decided to to go off and live as a monk, I think by then my parents had just started opening up their minds to the fact that I wasn't going to do the traditional thing. And thankfully, my parents were supportive enough not to promote that decision, but also not to demote it. And, and part of this is that I think it's so important that we share honestly with people that are important to us what is important to us. Right. We rarely share with yeah. people who are important to us what actually is important to us because yes. we try and guard mm -hmm. their feelings. We try and safeguard their feelings, hoping not to hurt them or affect them or bring them down. And we don't realize that then what ends up happening is that four years from now, you surprise them with a big piece of news. Whereas for my parents, that decision to be a monk wasn't a surprise. It was something that I'd shared with them every year for four years. And they'd seen me invest in that decision as well. They'd seen me actually go and spend time in India. They'd seen me choose to stop certain habits. They'd seen me choose to read ancient books and timeless wisdom as opposed to go out clubbing. They'd, they'd seen me make all those choices where they could believe that it was real. And so when it came to that stage, my parents were actually supportive and, and encouraging to some degree. And then, you know, my mom's biggest thing was what you said, like, my mom, I missed my, so I graduated, but I didn't go to my graduation ceremony. So my mom doesn't have a picture of me graduating. And, mm -hmm. and it was that same thing for us. Like, how do I explain to my friends what you're doing? Like, how do I explain that you've done all this education and studies and, and now you've given it all up? And so 
by then that's kind of how my how I explained it to my parents. I was just like, what I said to them, I was just like, you know, mom, dad, we have so many friends and family who have money, who are successful, but they're not happy. And I said, when I'm with the monks, when I'm studying with them and the service that they're doing for the world. So they were building food distribution programs and sustainable villages in India to serve people. I was like, that's the work that's calling my heart. Like, that's the work that I want to do with my youth and my energy and my enthusiasm. And, yeah. and I want to use my life for service. So that's the conversation I had with them. So now one of the things that I always tell people that it's okay to dream and it's okay for your dreams to change because, you know, a lot of times people get stuck into one thing and they have to think, well, I've made this commitment. I've made this commitment with my family and now I've gotten them on board. So I guess I must stay in this. And I always try to <laughs> tell people, you know, it, at nighttime you have a dream. If the next night you have a different dream, you don't wake up pissed at yourself. You say, oh, I had a different dream. But for some reason, in real life practice, people are like, oh, I can't switch up. I can't change it. And you actually switch and change your dream from business, which really wasn't your dream, but from art to then being a monk. And then you decided to leave being a monk so that you could pursue something else. Your mother said, well, he probably will give up on this too. So there was already that in the back of their head. How did you find that courage to then dream something new? It was my parents and it was also more my extended family. It was extended family, friends, colleagues. You know, everyone's saying things. Before you go off to become a monk, like all your friends at school and college just think you've gone weird, you know? Like literally like <laughs> there was some of my some of my guy friends were like, I don't know if I can talk to you anymore because how am I going to talk to you about women, right? Like that was literally, yeah. I was like, wow, is that all our relationship was based on? Like, is that all we talked about? Like, But there yeah. were people who were literally like, well, you're not the same anymore. And I was like, no, I am the same. I just, I just want to learn and I want to grow and maybe I don't want to be the same. And so I had that. I had a lot of people telling me, by the way, if you ever come back, you know, you're never going to get a job. You know, you're never mm -hmm. going to be able to make money again. You know, you're just going to waste the next three years of your life. And so you're hearing all that before you go. So when I get to the realization that I, I want to stop that path, it's like all I'm hearing in my head is all the noise of what I'm going to have to hear when I go back to the people that I once used to know. And I'm yeah. scared. I'm scared and I'm anxious and I'm, I'm going through a major you know, life crisis and, and depression mode of, of feeling like, am I going to be able to hear everyone say, oh, we told you so. We knew you were going to fail. We knew mm. you weren't going to make it. Like, you know, all of that is kind of at its peak for me. And what, what gives me faith in that what you just said about like, how do you allow yourself to, to switch dreams is I really believe that we have to live with our choices and we have to live with our decisions and we have to live with our regrets. Mm -hmm. We're the only ones who really have to live with it. The only person thinking about you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for the amount of decades you live is you. No matter how yeah. much anyone loves you or believes in you or champions you, no one is really thinking about you every second of the day apart from you. And that's normal, by the way. Nothing wrong yeah. with that. And so I was like, do I want to die forcing myself to continue to live a life that may not be right for me? Do I want to live so that no one ever gets to point a finger at me or pull me down? Is, is that what I want to live with? And I remember studying this in economics, which became very useful at this time. I remember studying something called sunk cost bias. What it basically means is when a person or a company 
has invested in something for a certain period of time, they feel they have to continue investing in it. And this is one of the biggest reasons why people lose when they're gambling. This is one of the biggest reasons why companies lose when they're spending money in marketing. Because what you do is you keep it playing the game, hoping that you're going to win, and you keep playing the same hand, and you keep investing in the same stocks, and you keep investing in the same business because you already have, and you feel this sense of responsibility, like you said. And guess what? Economically, it's the worst decision you can make. And I think a lot of us look at life differently, and we don't realize that in life it's the same thing that if something is not winning, it's not going to change unless we change. And so for me, it was very clear that I didn't want to continue in a path that had given me so much, but was no longer, like you said, the dream. And mm -hmm. continuing on that path would lead me and only me to more pain, more regret and, and more lack of fulfillment. Wow, that is powerful. When you finally faced all of those friends and family members who were like, well, you come back, you're not gonna be able to find a job. Was it as scary as you thought? It, it was at first because I applied to 40 companies and they all rejected me before an interview. So, wow. so I, I kind of came back with a bit of confidence and feeling like I can do this and, you know, I'm, I'm okay. And, and, then, and then all of a sudden you, you and, and these are like applications that are, purposefully tailored and like I've written a new cover note for every application and and these are companies that would have taken me three years before but now they won't even give me an interview so it's not even like I'm getting a foot in the door anymore I'm not even getting yeah. to put on that suit go to that interview and being told I'm not good enough they're looking at my resume and surprise surprise no one wants to hire a monk or a former monk it's like what's your uh, what's your relatable what's your transferable skills what you can be quiet all day well that's not useful to us like you know it's like it's like how are you useful to us and they can't see the connection and so yes it was hard at first because when you're listening to it again, and, and, and this is why that noise and that inner voice is so powerful, which Steve Jobs talks about so beautifully in his Stanford speech, his commencement speech, it's like when, when all you're listening to is the noise of other people's opinions, it drowns out your inner voice. And, mm -hmm. and then those noise become yes. your reality. Like you let the noise of others become your choices, become your decisions, become your voice. And now it sounds like you. And, and so yeah. at first it was hard. And it only became easier as I started to turn down the noise and distance myself from the noise and, and find my own and find my own path and, and recognize again that just as I had left to become a monk because I thought it was the right decision, I was also leaving being a monk because I thought it was the right decision for me. I know what during that time you were broke. During that time, were you overly consumed with finding the job and being in debt, or were you able to still find moments to live your life and to date and to be Jay? I, I always talk about how going to monk, going to be a monk, I was going to say going to monk school, even though it's not called that, but I, I like to call it that. Going to monk school and, <laughs> and living like a monk was like being at school or college and leaving there has been the exam. Mm. So I feel like every day I'm applying the lessons and the classes I learned at monk school, I'm applying them in the real world and I'm testing them and seeing whether they work. And by the way, they really do work. And so for me at that time, 
my focus was how do I keep this incredible wisdom and the habits and practices in my life in an authentic way, but at the same time, learn how to integrate into the world again that I have to live in. And so mm-hmm. it was, it took like, I remember the first day I came back, the first thing I did in what is when I ate loads of chocolate because I hadn't eaten chocolate for three years. <laughs> so, so that was like, I was like, and I think for the first week I like binge watched like how I met your mother. I think that was famous while I was a monk. And so I caught up on that <laughs> afterwards. Uh, I, I caught up on football, soccer, because I was a huge fan. I think I spent like a week or maybe even a month just like catching up on movies, TV shows, eating chocolate, you know, all yeah. the stuff that you you haven't done for three years. And then after a month, I was like, okay, this is this was all a waste of time. Like, let me go back to, to what I learned. And I think that's when my meditation practice sat back in. So I started my two hour meditation practice again, which was what I learned as a monk. And that became a big stronghold in my life. Uh, I started to see my wife about six months later. And so she started, she actually came into my life. So my wife is the only woman that I've been with after living as a monk. And I started to date her uh, that year when I, when I left and our relationship, I, I really feel that she was such a strength for me at that time because she met me when, I mean, we'd met, I mean, long story, but she'd, we'd met before that. But at that particular time, she'd met me at a time when I didn't have any money. I didn't have a job. I was in debt. Like she met me with, with nothing and she really believed in me and my potential and my passion and, and my dreams and what I wanted to do for the world. And and she, I think she was a real strength for me. And so, yeah, there were those times. But I, I love those times. Now, looking back, it's like I remember I was working a part-time job so I could save up enough to take her out on a date, you know? And and it was so fun. That's actually me. really sweet and adorable. Yeah, That's it was actually like, really I, okay, adorable. I literally used to my, – my job was – I used to tutor. So I went back to teaching subjects to college students because that was something I used to do while I was at college. And so I was thinking, okay, I need to make money on the side because I don't have any way of making income at the moment because no one's giving me a job. So I would go back to coaching college students on their subjects. I was teaching economics and philosophy and other subjects uh, to students who wanted that. And I would save up. And I think I, I think I used to make like, you know, I don't know, 25 to 50 pounds an hour or something like that. And I would save up and then I'd take her out on a date. And, and yeah, it was really meaningful. And I, I think our relationship was really important. So I would go to her university and I would apply for jobs while she was studying. And so I'd be, she was at her doing her second degree and I'd be in her university while she was in lectures. I'd be sitting there sending other applications off. So yeah, it was a really special time, man. I look back with such fond memories because I got to spend so much time with her in those early days. And, uh, and yeah, I think I, I think I did get to live after that first month of, <laughs> of, of uh, <laughs> totally going off the rest. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I look at you and your wife. Y'all are happy, beautiful. And I'm like, she could have said, oh, you broke? You don't have this job? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm, you know, it could have been. And then like, where would this relationship have gone? Nowhere. Because she would have been looking at just right here instead of looking at your honesty, your truthfulness, and the drive that you had. So there's a big lesson in that because I'm like, single people always are like, there's nobody. And I'm like, (laughs) there is. There is. Just just look a little closer. I literally – I was speaking to my wife's parents uh, who I'm very close with this week. And today is actually their – 37th wedding anniversary, my wife's parents. And so I was speaking to them literally a couple of days ago when we were talking about that. And I was actually saying this to them and and my wife has an older sister and uh, my brother-in-law, we were both, we've talked about this many times that, you know, my my wife comes from, uh, you know, a a happy family, a well-to-do family, uh, you know, taken care of. And and when she met me and both when her... uh, you know, her sister met, met her partner, we were both not really, we didn't really have much in our lives, you know, like we, we come from more humble families and, and we didn't, we didn't have anything. And, but, you know, I feel like my wife's parents raised her, raised her so well that she was able to, you know, think about potential and investment. And you're so right. Like, and for a lot of men, especially, and this may apply to women too, I can only speak for myself, but I know that having, a woman that believed in me at that time was so powerful for me as a driver and, yeah. and as a motivator and as, as feeling very supported and a strength. And I'm not saying that stick through it while your boyfriend's playing video games every day and, and not working and making you clean. Agreed. Like, that's Agreed. not what I'm yeah. recommending here. Right. Yeah. I just, just want to clarify that. What I am saying is that if he or she is working or they are working towards their dreams, then it's important that you reciprocate with their action. Like if you're seeing it in action, if they're going out there, if they're sending those resumes, if they're working, if they're investing their time wisely, then that's someone worth investing in, right? Because most of us are not going to meet, like it's hard to meet. I also think it's hard to meet someone quote unquote at the top. You know what I mean? Like, what does it mean? Like, what does it mean? And, and what would it feel like? Like, I know so many people who I work with, coach, whether it's athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs, whatever they are. And it's like, it's so much harder to date once they've made it because now you're questioning everyone's intention and why they're in your life and what they're there for. It's really beautiful when you can see someone's potential and not just, you're not marrying someone's potential, obviously. You're seeing how they invest their time. That's what it is. Invest their time. My fiance, when he, you know, we're about to get married. And when he met me, I had found out that I was a father of a kid I didn't know about and adopted a second son. So here I was, you know, quit my job, my real job, as my parents would say, single, working this other job to support these two single kids. And I think back and I'm like, any other person would have ran for the hills, broke (laughs) two kids. But it's what you said. I was investing my time. And my partner said, oh, 
I see what you're doing with your time. You're, it's family and your career, and you're you're investing all of it in that. And it's the same thing with yours. That I just I just hope someone out there who is feeling lonely and feeling as if where is my somebody can hear this and change their perspective a bit so that they can start finding some type of love that they've desired and that they deserve. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. I couldn't agree with you more. So you then transitioned into finding this way of teaching people and being this um, influencer and being a great storyteller and, you know, doing speeches around the world. How has that been for you to now live this dream after all the transitions you've been through? Yeah, so it's, it's fascinating because I first actually started teaching and sharing as soon as I met the monk when I was 18. So I started a society at university college called Think Out Loud. I don't know. Do you have societies in this country? Or are they only fraternities? Like, is that is that your? We have we have fraternities, but I knew clubs. what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah, what I'm talking about. Yeah. So I started this society called Think Out Loud, and so every week I would teach a session at university called Think Out Loud for free. Anyone could turn up, and it was dissecting movies from a philosophical, spiritual and personal development level. So we would take a movie like Inception and I would analyze it from the perspective of the mind and our thoughts. And I would take a movie like Adjustment Bureau and we talk about karma. And so I would, I would organize these sessions and I was speaking about philosophy, all the stuff that I talk about today. And I was just talking about it. And, and so for me, I got addicted to sharing and learning and, and giving information and, and character breakdowns and analyzing you know, around 14, 15 years ago. And then when I came back uh, from being a monk, I was seeing that so many people were stressed and anxious and going through so much. And this was 2013. And I started sharing mainly inside organizations and corporates who were dealing with burnout and, and stress and pressure. And so I started to see the value of how this wisdom was really working and making an impact on people's lives. And, and that's what really gave me the confidence that everything I had learned was, was valuable right now. And then I got to a point where I was seeing this grow, but I wasn't seeing it affect everyone and anyone. And I really believe that wisdom is the property of humanity. It's not owned by wealth. It's not owned by beauty. It's not owned by power or strength. Wisdom is, is accessible to everyone. It's universal and it's timeless and it belongs to everyone. Yes. It's everyone's property. And so I was thinking, how can I be a catalyst not to share my wisdom, but to share the wisdom that I've learned from incredible teachers and guides and these books that I've studied that are thousands of years old. How can I share all of that in a way that's entertaining? And this is where our worlds collide and why I love and appreciate what you do so much is that I feel that when we communicate through entertainment, it's easier to digest for everyone. And it also takes us out of just being the, the be all and end all of the message. And so for me, I started making these these videos and I never believed, and I, and I say this with my hand on my heart, I never believed that anyone would really care about the videos I made. I simply made them hoping that they would help people start deeper, more meaningful conversations. That was my only yes. goal. I believed that people were already having these conversations in their homes. And I was like, but what if they had them through the media? What if the media was having these conversations? Because we both know, and you've done this, you and the shows that you're a part of and the work that you do, you have literally, and, and, and I want to take a moment to really honor you for this because I, I mean it, like I really mean it. You literally redefined culture. 
and the vocabulary around a really, really important topic in the world today and lives of people today that no one could have done in any other way. Like people oh, could have made you, people friend. could have made a law for it. People could have taught it in schools and it still wouldn't have had the same impact of what you've been able to do. And and that's the power of humans like you in entertainment who can not just have fun and live their passion and purpose, but actually transform culture and how culture views people and differences and diversity and uniqueness and 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 potential. And so I really felt the same for mental health. I feel the same for well-being, that we're just on the cusp right now where media is finally understanding that it needs to play a role in redefining the conversation around mental health and around well-being and around yes. self-love and self-care. And yes. I, I was thinking about that a few years ago, and I'm really glad that it's taken it on now. So yeah, it's it's genuinely humbling, exciting, and I feel extremely grateful to be able to live that dream now. But I genuinely believe that we're just at the beginning because we've not yet we've yes. not yet achieved what we're set out what we've set out to achieve. So I'm just grateful to have worked this hard to get to the beginning of where this journey starts. You know, we walk this path together and I'm so blessed to be on it with you. My final question is, you know, we all have that inner voice that either encourages us or toys with us. And, you know, I always want to know for people, how do you deal with that inner voice? And I mean that inner voice that says, hey, Jay, you could still be that fat kid, quote unquote. Hey, Jay, you'll give up on this too, you know, your mother's voice. Hey, Jay, um, I can't relate to you anymore because you're in this new phase, like your friend said. Yeah, great question. You have to substitute that voice for a stronger, more powerful voice. So we can't give mm -hmm. up anything in the world simply to give it up. Like you can't, you can't give up a bad habit without replacing it with a better one. You don't give up a bad car unless you replace it with a better one. You don't give up an apartment, whatever it is in your life. You, you have to substitute, upgrade and up level in every area of your life. And that's no different Amen. to the voices in your head. And so the voices in my head have become, and this is the part that we miss, the voices in your head naturally become quieter when the powerful voices get stronger and you invest in them. So when you're reading books that make a difference, when you're listening to podcasts like this one, when you're uh, going to conferences, going to seminars, going to getting a coach, getting a therapist, when you're doing all that positive stuff and you're turning it louder and louder and louder, the voices of these other opinions naturally become quieter. So your goal is not to dampen the negative voice. Your goal is simply to increase the positive one. And I think we mm. get lost. We spend so much time trying to quieten the noise and trying to push away bad opinions and deal with bad energy. But all we need to do is increase the amount we're exposed to the good energy. And so right now, mm. if, you, if you just did a time audit of where you spend your time, you might be spending 90% of your time in negative circles, toxic environments, and doing things that don't grow you. You just need to shift where you spend your time. You just need to shift where you spend your energy, right? Those are the things we own. We own our time and we own our energy. We control our time and we control our energy. These are the only two things you actually control. So if you always are around, I'm grateful. I feel like I'm always around people who are lifting me up, or at least if they're not the people who are lifting me higher and up, we're lifting each other up together.
And and that's where mm. people have to start is is don't focus on trying to push away the bad. Focus on increasing the good and the bad naturally fades away. My gosh, why every time I go on your social media page or I talk to you, I get chills through my body. <laughs> please tell me, please tell me there's a daytime talk show coming up. And if not, <laughs> I promise you, every network executive I have, I'm about to call because I got connects and you need, I need to be tuning in at 3 p.m. every day <laughs> and watching Jay Shetty. I'm just telling you right now. All right. I'm just telling you. That's very, very kind, Karama. And yeah, we, we'll talk about that offline for sure. It's it's an interesting Seriously. one. It's, you know, this is, oh. this is part of the, the beauty of social media, podcasting, the world that we live in as part of your world. I mean, you have, you have a huge world and, and uh, I, love, I love what you're doing. But it, what I'm really grateful for is that people like myself wouldn't have had a voice through traditional media. And so I want to thank everyone who's, who's ever watched a video, who's ever liked a post, who's ever shared a podcast of mine, because traditional media may not have allowed or afforded me and others this path and so yes. i i really value the you know the fact that we have these tools but i also am excited to i love i love any form of media in which we can transcend and amplify this message more and more in a way that is digestible relevant and accessible that helps people so friends you heard it here first jay's gonna have his own daytime talk show so everyone tweet to the major network <laughs> put him on air and while you're tweeting also make sure to go pick up his book which is going to be coming out in september of 2020 it's called think like a monk train your mind for peace and purpose every day this is a man that you want to listen to and follow because he will guide you to living a better life jay thank you for being amazing thank you for being my friend and just know i will continue to support you and cheer you on i'm with you thank you man hey friends friends i know that i feel so inspired at that conversation how are you feeling i know you're feeling inspired too you got to have a smile on your face because there was so much that i just learned through talking to my homie right there. You know, I wanna thank Jay Shetty for coming on the show and for sharing his truth and being so vulnerable. Because when we share our truth and when we're vulnerable and we self-reflect is when real growth happens and we get one step closer to living the life that we deserve. So friends, thank you so much. Make sure to hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at Karamo because I wanna hear how you feel about this episode. Talk to me, tell me what you liked about it. Tell me what you learned from us. Also, I want to make sure that you continue to listen because I promise you this season is going to be jam-packed with more of these conversations that are going to have you thinking about, wow, where am I in this world? It's going to challenge you. It's going to help you to be better. It's going to help you to smile more. So friends, thank you so much for listening and growing with me today. Karamo, a podcast, is an entertainment show. For advice or support on any emotional or mental challenges, please contact a licensed professional in your town. This show was produced by Karamo, Nick Pinella of Workhouse Media, and assisted by Ellie Charles. All music composed by Ernie Wooden and the Big Woozy Band, and all episodes are edited by Nathan Moody. Thank you for listening and growing with us. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, folks. I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 